Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug. Without any, any recorded portions of this show, I might add, you're getting me again another Saturday, another live show. I am thrilled to be back to you and back with you on lovely AM 950, call, talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie. We have a great show. We do. We're going to start off with the big interview. It's going to be uh, with Ellen Kennedy of World Without Genocide. We'll talk to her in a second. Um, then, uh, speaking about how, uh, how horrible humans can be to each other, I'm also going to talk about what's happening to transgender youth and kids this legislative season. And then after I have you depressed, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to give you a story about how humans can be good to each other. And then I will bring you up to date on my work, my, my work as an idealist. Now, remember, this is a live show. So that means you can call in. You can call in, and here's the number. Write it down. I always say it too fast, 952 I would love to hear from you. Last week, we had a lovely caller who shared that she believed this show was about the truth. It so warmed my heart when I got that call. And so um, an idealist, you know, always endeavor to speak the truth. And I am also honored. I have in the studio here, although I don't know if she's going to speak, um, one of my mentees. I have Madison Nelson here. She is a law student at the University of St. Thomas Law School. And Madison is here to get a little, she's getting a little credit by being here in the uh, studio with me. But I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, Madison, and you're just nodding your head right now, but that's okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to begin with the big interview. Patrick, do we have Ellen Kennedy on the line? I am with you, Ellie. Good hey. morning. Ellen Kennedy, how are you? Welcome. Welcome to uh, Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled to have you here. Um, Ellen, I've wanted to have you on the show for quite a while since I got to know you, and, and uh, finally we're, I, I've been able to make it work. Um, Ellen, you are the executive director uh, of World Without Genocide, and I'm going to guess that many of, our, many of our listeners have never heard of World Without Genocide, and that I, I want you to make sure we change that here this morning. Um, it is quite the organization. So we let's let's just begin. You uh, and, and you're a lawyer as well, right? I have that right. Yes. No, actually, I'm not. I am an adjunct professor of law, but that's because of my work with World Without Genocide. Okay. I'm a sociologist by training, and I have come to this field of human rights through learning and studying about genocide and about genocide prevention especially through legal efforts to promote sustainable justice and to advocate for vulnerable populations everywhere. All right, so Ellen, so let's let's begin with World Without Genocide is housed at um, the Mitchell, excuse me, yeah, the Mitchell Hamlin uh, Law School. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Tell us about how World Without Genocide came about and what is its mission? Oh, thank you for that great question, Ellie. And first, let me say, wonderful to have Madison there, a law student learning about 
truly the most important issues in human rights today. Congratulations, Madison, for being connected to Ellie for this great work. World Without Genocide started 16 years ago. As I said, I'm a sociologist, and I have been teaching about the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994, and I had been teaching about it for a number of years. The summer of 2005, I had the opportunity to go to Rwanda for a short trip, and I was with a small group of people, and in our little group was a young Rwandan woman named Alice. Alice was our guide, our translator, and became our friend. One evening, after Alice had been with us for about a week, she and I were sitting by the shores of the lake in northwest Rwanda, and I said to her, Alice, may I ask what happened to you and your family in 1994? Now, Ellie, I never would ask somebody a question like that. I don't know why I did. But I also added, Alice, you don't have to respond if you would rather not. And Alice told me what happened. In 1994, she was 14 years old. And one day, her mother asked her to go to the next village on an errand to her cousin's house to pick up some documents and then to come right back home. Alice went to her cousin's, but as Alice said to me, she was a difficult 14-year-old, and she did not go back home. She stayed overnight, sat up late watching TV with her young cousins. And when she got back home the next morning, it was she who discovered that the family home had been burned to the ground. She was the one to find the bodies of her mother and father, her 12-year-old and 9-year-old sisters, and her 2-year-old brother. There was nothing that remained. Nothing. Alice became an orphan that day. And that story, Ellie, just broke my heart, certainly because of the, the horror, but on another level as well, because my own daughter in 1994 was the very same age as Alice. And my beloved Louisa's life was as different from Alice's as could be because Louisa's family remained intact and Alice was orphaned in the cruelest of circumstances. So Alice shared that story with me. And then a few days later, she took our little group to a small museum. Again, we were in Northwest Rwanda and it was a museum to people who had lost their lives during the genocide. And I went through the museum and then I saw a dirt path and a Quonset hut at, at the end of the path. I walked down the path and I walked into that hut and there were six foot metal tables. On the tables were bones that had been found in the nearby hills and in the forests and in the swamps that had not yet been properly identified and buried. And I was overwhelmed, Ellie, and I, I just, I, I began to cry. And Alice had followed me down that path and into that Quonset hut. And she put her arms around me and very gently led, led me outside. And she said, Ellen, you don't have to look at this. 
this is our problem, this isn't your problem, meaning that it was the problem for the people of Rwanda. And I thought about those words, they haunted me. This was the summer of 2005. A few months later, I was back in my classroom and I was teaching about the genocide in Rwanda again. And this time, one of my students came up to me after class, the most wonderful student I've ever had in decades of teaching. And she said to me, what are we going to do about this? Meaning injustice in the world. Well, I had been mentally patting myself on the back. I thought I had been doing a lot. I'd gone to Rwanda. I was sharing these stories. I had created a a program at the university where I was teaching to engage my students in working with immigrants and refugees. But her question was truly a, a, a profound moment for me. And I talk about that question all the time because she was very embarrassed. And she was embarrassed that I talk about it, not because of, of why most people expect she was embarrassed that she was the only one in the room who thought to ask it. Hmm. And it was at that moment, Ellie, that I felt I needed to do something different. And shortly thereafter, I created this organization, World Without Genocide. Well, that's, our, that's our story. Well, it's an incredible story, Ellen. And, and I'm... I'm happy. I'm happy that you've gone and done something. Of course, this is just, you know, the the subject of genocide is is one that has been with Amer- with humans for our entire uh, existence. Right. Um, and I I got to a and so listeners, uh, um, uh, there's a uh, World Without Genocide puts out a newsletter every quarter, and I'm looking at the winter 2022 newsletter um, that uh, Ellen you you have helped author with your team and the 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 uh, the newsletter is de- dedicated to the impunity gap that is to the, the fact that so much genocide has occurred throughout our history without and at present time without any kind of accountability and um, tell us will you Ellen um, how 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 did you get the organization, you know, beyond just dealing with Rwanda and to talk about genocide generally? And you know what, um, uh, Ellen, I'm I'm gonna have to we're gonna have to actually take a break because I'm watching my clock here, and when we come back, I, I'd like you to talk more about the broad focus of the organization and maybe some of the stats. We want to make sure that if people want to learn about the organization, how they're going to be able to do that. And you can, we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the, uh, of the break, okay? All right, listeners, we're speaking with Ellen Kennedy, who happens to be the executive director of, of World Without Genocide. Um, when we come back, we'll speak more with her. But you know what? You can call in. If you have questions for Ellen or comments, give us a call at 952-946-6205, and uh, we'll take them. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And 
We're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio, um, and you have me live. So, listeners, this means you can call in. And we have a phenomenal guest here for the big interview, Ellen Kennedy, the executive director of World Without Genocide. By all means, by all means, feel free to call in, ask Ellen a question, or make a comment. Please do that. We'd love to hear from you. Ellen, before we took our break... Um, I had said that I wanted to, we, I want the audience to learn more about World Without Genocide, particularly about how it expanded its scope from just the genocide of Rwanda, but to genocide across the world. But before you do that, Ellen, can you tell our listeners how they can find World Without Genocide on the, on the Internet? Oh, thank you, Ellie. Yes. Very simple. Worldwithoutgenocide.org. And our website has so much information about genocides and other mass atrocities in the past, as well as those crises that are going on right now today. We, we know that people want to make a difference. So we have a section called Toolkits. And in this section, there are very simple steps that ordinary people can take to make a difference in the world, to help protect people who are vulnerable, to help move that needle forward towards peace and justice. Give, so uh, worldwithoutgenocide.org. Uh, Ellen, while you, you brought it up, give us give us one or two steps that just ordinary people can take to help to help stop genocide. Well, I think one of the most important things for people to think about, Ellie, is that we have to start with our own local communities first. And I heard at the top of the show that you're going to speak about what's going on in the state legislature regarding trans rights. When people close their eyes to atrocities in their own communities, they certainly close their eyes to atrocities globally. So I always say to people, the global is the local. The global is the local. Get involved locally first. And every single day, take a small step. So reach out to support trans people in your own neighborhoods in your own environments. Reach out to your own elected officials, to, your, to people on your school boards, so the trans children in the schools are treated fairly. I'm teaching a course at Mitchell Hamlin Law School this spring on transgender rights. And what we see is that the situation for trans youth in our own communities reverberates globally, where trans rights are challenged around the world. So we've got a big section on our website looking at trans rights. Start locally first. Great. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for that, Ellen. Personally, thank you. All right. So let's talk about that. You, you move from just talking, you know, uh, focusing on Rwanda to, to genocide across the world. Will you give our right. audience an idea of how that happened and what, I mean, your newsletter is filled with examples of genocide that's going on currently, right now in our, in our time. So talk about that, please. In 2006, when our organization began, the genocide in the Darfur region of Sudan was hardly on people's radar. And yet hundreds of thousands of people were in grave danger. They were displaced. They were losing their lives. So we started making ourselves available to give talks at no cost, at churches, at schools, at 
faith communities, synagogues, mosques, anywhere that people were willing to listen. And I went back and looked at my records from that first year. I gave 34 talks about the genocide in Darfur in the year 2006. In the year 2008, we were successful in getting the state of Minnesota to divest its state public pension fund from a short list of companies that were complicit in funding the genocide in Darfur. And then we moved throughout the state to city levels regarding funding for those companies. So this is what we began doing, educating people and then getting people to support local efforts that can have a global impact. And that's been our mission for the last 16 years. Ellen, okay, Ellen, I'm going to interrupt you. We've got a caller on the line, David from San Francisco. Uh, David, do you have, uh, are you there? And David, do you have a question or a comment for Ellen Kennedy? Well, it sounds like, yeah, she sounds like your guest is a real hero. Uh, I was uh, uh, calling another show not too long ago and reminding people about Darfur and that it was really about the uh, minerals uh, that mining companies had figured out that the cell phone industry uh, desired some minerals that were underneath Darfur. And what did they... There were millions killed in Darfur, right? Uh, the, uh, they pitted the Hutu against the Tutsis and, and pretended that it wasn't about minerals, and they pretended that it was some sort of an African civil war. And so I, I just was going to uh, raise the issue. Uh, Paul Manafort, uh, you know, one of the the scum that supports Trump, he, for 40 years he and Roger Stone helped facilitate coups for mining companies, for, you know, the, the uh, international uh, commerce and trade, let's say. And uh, they managed dictatorships and coups for 40 years. And when Donald Trump chose Paul Manafort to, to be his campaign manager, that presaged that America was going to undergo a coup. So your okay. guest uh, smells any, uh, any similarity uh, to... Uh, the, the fake arguments of pitting Hutus against Tutsis uh, must have had some uh, similarity to what's going on today in America when it was really all about minerals. Okay, uh, David, thanks for that comment. Go ahead, Ellen. You're raising an interesting issue. The Hutu and Tutsi um, uh, horror occurred in Rwanda, and it was indeed portrayed as a civil war. But these are these kinds of crises, as as the caller suggests, are always about deeper issues. They're always about power and control, and we see a very interesting parallel going on in China today. in In the western region of China, in an area known as Xinjiang Province, the Chinese Communist Party has been carrying out what many human rights experts are labeling a genocide against people known as the Uyghurs. Now, there are many surface reasons that are given for for what's happening, but underneath the ground in Xinjiang are some of the most valued minerals in the world that are particularly valuable right now as many countries are transitioning to green, greener, uh, greener economies. So we see whether we're talking about 
Rwanda or Congo, uh, which was the spillover of the Rwandan genocide, or or the situation for the Uyghurs in China, it's always about financial control and keeping uh, keeping access to the resources that will allow for that control to remain in in the hands of a small and very uh, very manipulative elite. Well, it's right control power, and um, and I think that uh, you know, Ellen, I think that. When ordinary people, and, and certainly before I got involved in doing the work that I do, when we would think about genocide, we would think probably many people tumble to the Holocaust and tumble to um, that as, as you know, an extreme example. As you point out in your newsletter, there, was, there were some efforts at punishment after the the Holocaust after World War II was over. But you point out that the world's appetite to go after the people that had orchestrated the Holocaust started to fade within a couple of years of the war ending. Why, you know, why, why can't we just keep focused on the need to go, to go after the people that caused the genocide and and, and as a way to make them examples. Powerful question, Ellie. And, and it really goes back to a concept that people have labeled genocide fatigue. People say, it's over, the weapons are down, let's move on. Some people construe that as being a path towards what they would label reconciliation. But that's not a way to achieve sustainable peace and sustainable justice. So the question is, what is sustainable peace? It means that the harms that allowed these these forms of violence to arise in the first place are still present. They may be simmering under the surface, perhaps. They may be less visible, but but they have not gone away. We can look at Rwanda. We can look at former Yugoslavia. We can look at what's going on in in Poland and in Germany and in, in places all over the world today where the scars of the genocides that did occur are, are so raw and where, where the, the effort to demonize those vulnerable populations goes on. <laughs> People need to feel that they can scapegoat someone or some group for whatever the ills are in their lives, whether they're acting out against women or Jews or or transgender people or or Muslims, they feel that they're that they ha- they perceive an enemy, and they perceive that enemy to be a threat to them, and they believe falsely so, of course, that if they can eradicate that enemy, their own lives will be better. Well, Ellen. Um... Unfortunately, we've we're, we've run out of time here, and um, but I want to just tell you that I have so appreciated you being on the show, and Thank you. and if if people want to learn more again about World Without Genocide, and I urge them to do that, urge them to go to the website. All they have to do is go to worldwithoutgenocide.com. Is that right? No, dot org. Dot org. Excuse me. Dot org. org. Worldwithoutgenocide.org. 
And yes. and they can also contribute. They can also donate if they Absolutely. So choose to do that. Well, Ellen Kennedy, thank you so very much for being on LD 2.0 Radio. Um, and I just want to thank you for the work, the work that you are doing in the world. I really Ellie, appreciate it's, it. It's been a real pleasure. And all of all of us who stand up for human rights must unite. Together, our voices can be loud and can be powerful. So thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Ellen. All right. Well, that was Ellen Kennedy with World Without Genocide. And uh, again, go to worldwithoutgenocide.org if you want to learn more. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to talk about some other things, but I'd love to hear from you at 952-946-6205. David from San Francisco, thanks for having called in. We'll be back in a sec. Ellie 2.0 Radio and lovely AM 950. Um, Ellen Kennedy, think of it. What one person, one person has been able to do. I don't know if that's, if that's not idealism, I don't know what it is. Okay? So make sure you check out about World Without Genocide. All right. As you, as you did hear as I was speaking with Ellen, I, wanted to, I do want to talk about what's going on. Um, in America right now, as it relates to transgender people. Um, did you know, what is this? This is uh, February 12th. Do you know, so far in 2022, there have been 160 anti-LGBTQ bills introduced into state legislatures across America. 160. 92 of them target trans people. That would be me, my community. Now, think about that. Think about the, the, the mechanisms of the state, the mechanisms of the government bearing down and going after a specific group of humans in a variety of ways. For example, in Tennessee... <laughs> In Tennessee, um, they have introduced, and it, I'm sure it's going to pass, this, this uh, thing called the Youth Health Protection Act. Kind of sounds like, oh my goodness, we're trying to protect children and protect youth. And what this is, is it's targeted against transgender children and youth to prevent them from getting um, hormones or hormone blockers. So again, as you've heard me speak before, you're hearing this voice, okay? Now, I'm, if you're on Facebook Live, you've seen a chick, but you're hearing this voice because I went through puberty as a dude, okay? Hormone blockers for transgender girls prevents that from happening, prevents them from getting beards, prevents them a whole lot of things. But so the Tennessee Youth Health, Youth Health Protection Act would prevent all of that, would prevent surgery, and by the way, Surgery is not, it's called gender confirmation surgery. So to, you know, to change an innie, an innie into an Audi, an Audi into an innie, that does not happen with anybody younger than 18, I guarantee you. So, but also this Youth Health Protection Act prevents therapists 
from treating transgender kids or youth. And then it requires that agents of the state, kind of a broad phrase, that they have an obligation to report if they come across a child who believes that they're transgender, that they're suffering from dysphoria, gender dysphoria, which is where your brain doesn't match your body. (laughs) In other words, if you are a trans kid or youth younger than 18 in Tennessee, you don't exist. We're not going to give you any help. We don't want to see you. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want to know anything about you. And you're not going to be able to help yourself. You're not going to be able to get any resources. Just, in other words, fade away. I think that Ellen Kennedy might think that might fit the phrase genocide. These bills, this, this kind of thing, I mean, they're going across America right now again are these bills about, and, and of course they're, they're doing in Tennessee, these bills where uh, transgender youth, mainly transgender girls, can't participate. And I've just got to tell you, it is depressing as heck if you're a trans person. Now, let's, again, let's remember this, okay? I am 65 years old. I think a fairly frisky 65-year-old, but... Um, I have the perspective and the life experience of 65 years. So when I read about 160 bills targeting LGBTQ people, but nearly 100 of them targeting trans people, when I read about that, that hurts my heart. But at least I know I've got the resiliency. I've got the grit. I also have the resources. I'm extremely privileged to be able to not have to. That is not necessarily going to affect me personally. But if you are a 14-year-old transgender girl or boy in Tennessee and you find out that your state doesn't want you to exist, it kills you. And by the way, you can't get any therapy to help with that. And 13- and 14-year-old transgender kids across America, they realize that states are targeting them maybe not particularly here in Minnesota they have all kinds of protection but here in Minnesota you know um, you can still read the news and you can still realize that in much of America you are unworthy I mean I, I and and all of this I mean all of this is going down across the world you know across the country right now and people are getting tired of it you heard <laughs> heard Ellen talk about fatigue. People are like, oh my God, they're going after the trans people again. Hey, can you pass the salt? I need a little bit more salt on my on my uh, potatoes. It, it's just, people are like, and what they're doing, those that will marginalize, those that will marginalize transgender people, they're wearing us down. They're wearing everybody down. Hey, I've got Lynette. Uh, from Chaska on the line. Hey, Lynette, you, I talked to you last week. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. So I'm, I'm enjoying listening to your show like I usually do. Actually, I just was uh, finishing reading an article. Shelley Luther, you probably heard of this woman. I don't know. I shouldn't say her name, but she's, uh, she's running for, well, she's running for a representative seat, and she's a former teacher. And yes, I, she, I, I you saw know, her. You heard, did you hear her story about that she, you know, doesn't think it's right that, that students can't laugh at transgender classmates? Um, you know, it's amazing to me that these are these people call themselves adults. You know, because 
mean, I know the Republican Party just prides itself in, in being bullies and jerks these days, but it's just appalling. I mean, like, how can these people just live, I don't, with themselves? It's, uh, <clears throat> it's so sad. I don't, I'm what you're, <clears throat> and I know you're, uh, and you're passionate about about the transgender issue, and it's just it's just heart wrenching. Like, why do these people have to get targeted? I I mean, I guess uh, people that are mean have to pick on somebody, something. It doesn't matter what it is. If it isn't transgender, it'll be something else. But it's just it, there's no excuse for it. I, I don't. Uh. Well, Lynette, thank you again for calling. I just love hearing from you, and I really appreciate. It. I'll tell you why they're targeted because there's fundraising off of this. So. You know, it's about help us protect the transgender youth, quote unquote, protect, which means help us to marginalize them and, and let us keep, we got to keep transgender people out of, out of community, out of the schools. I mean, God forbid they're going to turn our children into transgender uh, humans. And by the way, send us money, okay, so that we can continue this. I mean, uh, you know, go to the Minnesota Family Council website and you're going to see how they do that, okay? Now, Having said all of that, now remember, I'm a unifier, not a divider. And, and I, I do want as much as I can to keep away from this um, Republican-Democrat thing, realizing what my audience is. But hold on, hold on. The reason I'm telling you this is there a story that broke yesterday, yesterday, about an Arizona Republican who was the, the, the pivotal vote to kill um, proposed legislation in Arizona um, that would have banned just what Tennessee's trying to do, that would have banned gender-affirming care for transgender youth. So State Senator Tyler Pace, a Republican, um, and this is according to a story uh, on NBC News um, by Matt Labiatis, um, State Senator Tyler Pace quote, voted Wednesday with three Democrats on the Arizona legislature's Health and Services, Health and Human Services Committee, splitting the vote 4-4 and effectively killing the bill. Pace said that while he sees, quote, both sides, he was ultimately swayed by personal stories from LGBTQ and their families. This is what uh, Senator Pace said, quote, the testimonies we heard today about the many people who are using these avenues of medical treatment to save lives, to improve lives, said, I don't want my vote to stop those great things. Think about that. You have a human who's willing to listen to other people and willing to, to have his perspective expanded, and he does the right thing. And he's a Republican. I, I want to make sure I note that, that he is a Republican, and he did that. He killed the, what would have been the Tennessee, the Arizona version of the Tennessee law. He killed it. Remember what I always say. We're a society of storytellers and story listeners. And so I just, he heard some stories. And it changed the way he saw the world. I... You know, and, and I'm not going to go down that road, but you've heard me say we need to sit in rooms with each other and talk to each other. It is the only way we're going to go and get past the division. 
Okay, well, listeners, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back with a happy story, okay? Talk a little bit maybe about uh, some books that uh, are being banned and talk about my work as a hopeless idealist. We'll be back um, in a second. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. Hey, you got one more chance to call in at 952-946-6205. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks. We're back on lovely AM 950. Ellie Krug here with Ellie 2.0 Radio. All right. Well, listen, um, I'm going to sail through a couple of things. First, I told you I'd have a happy story. And uh, I don't know if you saw the story. This is a little late. It's February. This is a story about Christmas time, about the holidays, about a neighborhood in Baltimore where in uh, the fall of 2020, um, a man named Matt Riggs was aware that his across-the-street neighbor, a woman named Kim Morton, was struggling with COVID, the pandemic, with some other issues, stress and anxiety. And Matt Riggs came up with this incredible idea that as he was putting Christmas lights on his townhouse in this um, neighborhood just north of, <clears throat> of Baltimore itself, he decided that he would string a set of lights from his house all the way across the street over to Kim Morton's house as a way to symbolically show that he cared about her, he and his wife cared about her and her husband, and that they were connected, that they were connected. That, that one act, <laughs> and Kim Morton said, it was incredible about how it made her feel that her neighbor would do that. That one act spurred other homeowners in this neighborhood in Baltimore to do the same thing. Um, that's all the time I have to say about it. But if you go to elliekrug.com, and that would be my website, and you scroll down to the newsletter section of, uh, of uh, my website, you'll be able to see my January that would be last month, came out two weeks ago, newsletter, where I talk about this thing in Baltimore because they started it in the fall of 20. They really ramped it up in uh, 2021. Go go read it. It's a, it's a phenomenal story, and you will see um, a picture of lights from across, going from one house to the other house across the street where it says, love lives here. Unbelievable. So anyway, okay. Then uh, I'm uh, books uh, that schools want to ban. There's a great story in The Atlantic by Emma uh, Sarapo, S-A-R-A-P-P-O, came out on February 1, 2022. It is um, a list of 14 titles of books that, um, that uh, are under attack that are being banned, including uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, The Bluest Eyes by Toni Morrison, um, uh, dark, uh, His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, uh, Between the World and Me by Tanishi Coates. Go check out The Atlantic. The title is Read the Books That Schools Want to Ban. Then that leaves me with my work as an idealist, and I have barely three minutes to say um, that. But let me give you a report. You may recall last week and the week before I talked about the fact that I have made, I've made a, a public um, 
announcement that I would deliver free of charge my memoir, Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change, that I would deliver my memoir to any public library or school library in America. I had six takers in America, took me up on that, and guess what? Those books went out yesterday at the post office. Six books, I had to wrap them all up and put a little note in, in them and all that stuff. So again, listeners, and I know we're reaching people from across the country, if your public library does not have my book and they want it, reach out to me uh, via my website. My email is Krug. Make sure you include the J, Krug at gmail.com. Let me know and we'll get, I'll send books, books to them. Okay. All right. Also, you know, I live in Victoria. Um, out in Carver County, on the edge, literally on the edge of uh, the, the Twin Cities Metro. Carver County, um, primarily a red county, uh, maybe going a little bit purple. But, but Carver County Public Health has come up with this program called Community of Belonging, um, which is aimed at helping people who are relatively invisible, who communities that Carver County is an extremely wealthy county. The pop, the poverty rate is less than 5% in the county, but it's a way of, of reaching out to, to communities that, that are not represented. That would include transgender people. I had uh, the, the good fortune yesterday to be on or on Thursday on something called living room conversations where I met a Somali woman living in Carver County, who told me that she, she feels welcomed in Carver County. She's been living there for a decade and a half. That she, felt, that she felt welcomed. I cannot tell you how much that warmed my heart. Incredible. So, just, uh, you know... Just wonderful, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, so, and I tell you that because it's about getting to know people. It's about hearing their stories and realizing we are all alike. Okay, uh, lastly, I'm working to go up to Ely and speak. So we'll see how that goes. All right, a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, who's done a great job. Uh, Madison Nelson, my mentee, who has been here and given me her attention the entire time. Thank you, Madison, for being here. Listeners, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you every week. I will be back live next week and the Saturday after that. In the meantime, please go out, do some good, make the world a better place. Thanks. Bye-bye.